Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that my short story is available for free at johntilton.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you both the ebook and audiobook of Doomed Dune. In this middle grade adventure, a girl named Melina travels to a forbidden landmark guarded by tyrannical robots, but her life turns upside down when she discovers the true reason it's off limits. Discover Doom Doom Secret by heading over to johntilton.com. That's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N.com. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Cause of Craft. I'm your host, John Tilton. Why do we create? Where do our ideas come from? What does our craft say about us? These are the ideas we explore here on the show. Each episode, I interview a different guest, from writers and painters to musicians and filmmakers. Together, we investigate the creative process and the reasons behind why we create. Ever have a certain expectation about something, only to discover that you completely misunderstood an essential key element? Photographer Lauren Westra shares her unique journey of starting her career and why embracing the unexpected might be good for you. We also discuss why it's important to love the process of your craft, how to tackle uninvited challenges, and the reason why there's no easy checklist for hard work. As always, if you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways for any podcast to grow, and I'm thankful for your support. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Welcome to the show, Lauren. It's great to talk with you. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about photography and wedding venues. Which one of these industries did you get into first? Interestingly, photography, but mostly because it was on accident. I did a semester abroad program when I was in college and didn't do my research um, and just kind of assumed that the study abroad program I was doing would be an exchange program like with like. The university I was at would be like the university I was going to in Australia. And shortly before I left, I found out that the university I was going to in Australia was an arts school. So while I was taking quite a few cross-cultural courses through the exchange program, the courses that I was going to choose at the university I was attending would all be in the arts. At the time, I didn't see myself as artsy at all. Um, I played sports and I was majoring in marketing. So that was quite the stretch. I, however, had always been intrigued by some college friends of mine who had big cameras, DSLRs, and their pictures were just always so clear and so crisp. And so I thought, well, that's always been intriguing to me. And if I'm going to be in a different country, I may as well learn photography. So I enrolled in two photography classes. Um, This was back in the days when a iPhone or any phone didn't take quality photos. So I also had a point and shoot camera that I planned to bring with me. But two days before I left for Australia, broke that point and shoot. So I was left with just this big semi-professional amateur entry-level DSLR camera that I had to learn how to use. So my only assignment in my photography class was to put the camera on manual mode and not take it off. So figured it out how to use it when I was there. And then like the short translation to how that became a job is I moved to California right after that. And a friend of mine started pitching me to all of his semi-wealthier friends as a photographer, which I very much was not. Um, But I got hired to shoot a couple like first or second birthday parties. And instead of telling them that they had been pitched incorrectly, I just figured I'll figure it out. And it kind of snowballed from there. So that was much before the wedding venue. It's it's both you getting into photography in the first place is kind of this trial by fire accidental thing. And then it sounds like that was the same kind of story with changing it from just being into photography to wedding photography. Yes. So 
you know, you shoot a first or second birthday party and then you shoot another one of those. And then the family whose birthday party you shot at Christmas when they want a family photo is like, hey, can you take a family photo? And and then it ended up kind of crossing over with my nine to five in marketing. I was managing a social media department and social media needs quite a bit of images and photos. So I was kind of getting into photography at work too by necessity. So these things were kind of happening parallel to each other. And, you know, so then I went from second birthday parties to family photos and then I took enough family photos that this one family thought, oh, my sister's cousin is getting married and photographers are expensive. What would you charge? And I thought, well, I need this $1,200 lens to shoot this wedding, so I'll just say $1,200. And <laughs> you know, so I shot, shot one wedding for $1,200. And then after that, you know, I think you start with, you start as the cheapest one and that's why you get hired. But um, I've always had a, a little bit of a, I like a good challenge and I like to do things well. So it always frustrated me that I knew I wasn't doing it as well as I could do it. So just the challenge of continually improving is kind of got me to where where I am today, which is no longer a $1,200 wedding. It's interesting that you frame it like that too, because like the, liking the challenge of it. Because my next question was going to be if you've always been someone that likes to experiment with things or try something new because you know, a lot of people would be in that situation in Australia and be like, I picked the wrong school. I need to get out of this or just find a way that's kind of the easier path rather than take the challenge head on. Well, that's a fascinating comment because that was my first thought was I need to get out of this. Um, there was a number <laughs> of things in Australia that, I mean, that wasn't the first thing was finding out the school wasn't a like like for like exchange program. But then even once I got there, there were a lot of things that came up once I got there. And I think it was the first time in my life that I'm usually up for anything and up for a challenge. This one was much bigger than most of them, right? I'm, I'm all the way in Australia. I got almost no money. I was a senior in college, right? Like this is right before you have money, but certainly not. <laughs> I mean, you're going further into debt still, you know, so there, there were, like I said, a number of factors, including the type of school it was where I was really convinced I had to leave. So I spent like the first probably 30 or 40 days there, just like I got to go. And then finally I thought, no, if I leave, I waste a whole semester of school. I waste a bunch of money. I just was so the logic of it or the illogic, the non-logic, the part of it that wasn't logic couldn't let me do it. So I just said, no, I'm staying. I'm sticking it out. It's not that long. I want to make it work. So I think that was one of my first big adult moments of like, I mean, I'd done it I often did that. I liked making it work. I love the challenge of this isn't ideal, but how can I make this work? That was the first time it was so not ideal. I didn't want to make it work. In retrospect, obviously it shaped a lot of the direction of where my career would be, although I didn't know it then. But I would say outside of that one experience in Australia, yes, I've always loved a challenge. And I've always felt like, like I said, those two friends of mine in college had these big DSLR cameras and I couldn't figure out why their pictures were so much better than mine. I thought if they can take pictures that are that clear and that sharp, so can I, I just got to figure it out. You know, I, I've always been fairly convinced that if somebody can do it, so can I. <laughs> so that's been a fascinating journey to be on. And as you took that challenge and you started experimenting with things and trying to figure out how the other photos look so good and how you can make yours like that, was there a moment where things started to click together? Do you remember some of your first photos where you felt like, I'm getting better at this? So for a while, it was mostly just take as many photos in as many spots as you can of this family and then hope some of them turn out. <laughs> so back when I started, we're talking like 2011, 2012, 2011. 
you're like, you don't have Instagram yet. Facebook was like companies were just starting to realize they needed to be on Facebook. It was a different social media landscape. Now, if you decide you want to be a photographer, there are so many resources for you. I mean, back then I probably could have looked up some YouTube videos, but that's, that's an interesting, that's kind of like asking the world where to cook, right? It depends on who you talk to, what food you're going to end up with. And so unless you know what you want to cook, asking the world what to do isn't, isn't actually super helpful. Kind of similar with photography. There's, you know, you've got your landscape photographers, you've got your um, architectural photographers, your real estate photographers, you, and even within family and wedding photographers, you've got such an array of styles. Back then, I wouldn't say I understood that there was a ra- an array of styles within those categories, but I also didn't know, I didn't know what a style was. I didn't know, you know, I just wasn't exposed to as much content as people today are. So now if you decide you want to be a photographer, you can see all the avenues you can go down. I just thought I want to learn how to take good pictures. I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't know what the avenues were. So I spent probably, that was 2011, it's 2022. So I probably spent the first four years being really terrible. And it was true trial and error, man. Just, just shooting and hoping I would get something. And then, you know, kind of the moment you're asking about, there was this photographer that I had found through mutual friends on Instagram, probably in 2012, 13. And I finally asked her, I said, Hey, well, she needed a second shooter, which means, you know, there's a second photographer at a wedding who's not in charge of the wedding, but it's just helping that first photographer get secondary angles and things. She needed someone to do it. And I volunteered. She took me, I think that she was kind of at the end of her rope, couldn't find anybody. And that was eye opening for me because I finally got to see someone who knew what they were doing in action. And then I even asked her, Hey, can I tag along to a shoot? She explained to me the whole concept of light. I hate to say it, but I did not understand that light had a lot to do with a good photo. I thought you just had to know how to handle a camera to take a good photo. And now I've realized that's maybe half of it. I'd say almost 40%. You can get real lucky not knowing how to handle a camera so long as you understand light. So I think that was kind of my first eye-opening moment. And then from there, you know, I can see a couple other key points. I did another mentorship with another photographer. Um, Just a couple key points in my photography path where I just started to really understand how to master light. You mentioned that now we have all these resources to figure out all of the different tracks you can go down. But I wonder if kind of similar to your story about going to Australia, Sometimes if you see the whole path laid out in front of you, it kind of stifles that way you would stumble into finding your style or experimenting with something that you would never try before and just kind of letting the spur of the moment in life direct you a little bit too and react to it. So do you think having too much of a path shown to you can be hurtful? Yeah, you've actually, I'm sure unintentionally stumbled on like, possibly one of my pet peeves in the creative industry in light of what we (laughs) all have available to us. You know, I've seen a lot of people that they have some thoughts and they're scrolling Instagram and they decide, you know what, I'm gonna be a photographer. And next thing you know, because they know, oh, branding is important because I've seen that on my Instagram feed. And like, I know people who do pretty branding and I want a logo. And next thing you know, they've hired and paid for a logo and a website and all this stuff. And they've barely taken photos, right? But it's like, I want to be a photographer. And it's kind of like, because you can see this path in front of you, you start with, ironically, what I did last. And I think there's, on some level, I think there is a small amount of jealousy where it's like, oh, you just got to go right for the gold. But at the same time, 
if you do see that path laid out in front of you, but you don't have the experience or the effort or the like tenacity of like, I want to figure this out. You tend to do the easy things first, hire someone to make me a logo, decide I have a website, like figure out my pricing, announce it on my Instagram without having done the hard work first of how do I even make this work? You know, like, okay, I've learned a couple basics, but these photos aren't turning out how I pictured. And I, you know, I took this course and I've seen the person who's teach, I've seen the instructor's work. I thought if I took this course, my work would look like theirs. And I do think because you can see the path in front of you, you can't see the experience. You know, you can see the path and it looks like, oh, I just have to do steps one through 10 and then I will have the result of whoever just taught me. But the person who taught you probably learned one through 10 in a very long blood, sweat and tears type of experience, which is how they know it so well. And so even if you do one through 10, until you have the experience you're not going to know it like they do. Your your product's not going to be the same. So you get a lot of photographers that were a photographer for like a month, right? And then they were done. And so I do think you're right. There's a there's less of a chance that you decide you're going to do something and actually do it when the path is this clear because a clear path doesn't show the amount of work, you know? And like you said, on the opposite spectrum, if you just stumble into it, it's because you've kept working at it and kept working at it and kept working at it. And usually then by the time it becomes a business, even if you want it to be done, you're not going to be done because I spent so much time getting here. <laughs> yeah, especially because these articles online, it, whether it be about photography or I'm thinking about ones about writing or you know how to do certain things and find some sort of success in a different creative field. With all of these, the way they get people to share them and like them and read the article is by making it sound super easy. So people don't like to hear how much hard work they're going to have yes. to do. Like they want to have the experience of, oh, I'm going to have the, this life that that is going to be so grand and I'm just going to, you know, waltz into it and I'm going to be, you know, insert profession here, creative profession here. but. It's really with anything that's worth pursuing, anything that takes a certain amount of skill, like you're saying, it's just it's going to take years of development, years of kind mm -hmm. of making your own mistakes and years of listening to people who have made those mistakes and yep. how they handled it and applying that to how you want to do it. Like it's almost impossible to make a 10 point bullet list about what someone needs to do. It's kind of like you need yes. to like figure yes. out where you're at or figure out where the person you're helping yep. is at and, you know, just talk about it. So, and, th and that's why I like doing stuff like the podcast, because I feel like that gets my mind working in such a better way than 10 steps to being a good writer or <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cause there's also resources that are great. Oh yeah. And I, I do think it's really ironic. One of so on my goals for 2020, we'll see if I get it, is to start actually producing some of the education materials we're talking about. I'd like to produce some of them. but And this is on the wedding venue side. But the first one I want to write is why you don't actually want to own a wedding venue. <laughs> <laughs> like you, There's all this stuff about like five steps to owning a wedding venue, right? But I am just convinced, and I'm, I'm, I am kind of flopping to the wedding venue side at the moment, but I'm just convinced that 98% of people who want to own a venue want to own it for reasons that only exist 2% of the time. And if they understood that, they might change the direction of their dreams and spend a little less mental energy on it because they'll realize, oh, wait, this is not what I want to sign up for. 
Um, so I, I really think it would be a popular resource, right? Because so many people think owning a wedding venue just sounds like a dream. I live on this beautiful property and host all these weddings, but yeah, I, and I'd like to do something similar. There's a lot of young moms who have decided, oh, I want to be a photographer because I can stay home with my kids and still work. And it's a great balance. And I kind of want to write a similar piece for why you don't want to be a stay-at-home momtographer, right? Like I do it. So there, there are reasons, but I think that it'd be interesting to start educating people on what you're not getting in the 10 steps to insert creative field here. Yeah. And we can get to the reasons why you specifically do both of these things uh, that you're writing articles about why not to do it. But I think <laughs> that that's such a, that is such a helpful resource because really with anything, you know, with all of these different creative things you can do in life, people don't see the hard aspects of it because of all these reasons we're talking about. So if someone is to really understand the downsides and what they're getting into, and then they still want to do it like that, I think is a really good sign that, okay, maybe you should start pursuing this and yes. know, you know, have the right expectations about it Absolutely. and know that you're tackling this, this big thing instead of just kind of waltzing into something easy. I think if you know what you're coming into the arena, into the arena against, then you're way more likely to succeed. So if you want to be a photographer, you need to know the things that are going to make it really difficult. And so long as those things don't scare you or discourage you, then you're probably going to get there. So I guess the question is then, why do you do it when it's so difficult? And like you said, you have all these kids, yet you're managing to continue your photography business and and grow it. It seems like I was just on your website. It seems like you're doing weddings super often and very busy. So what keeps you at it? What makes you love it so much despite all the challenges? I always think this question is really interesting because I often feel like the odd man out in the wedding community or the photography community even because people will say this and they'll say, what's your why? You know, and so many people are like, I do it for my kids. I want them to see that I can work hard or I want, or they say, you know, I, I just get, I just, my clients, they're my why or to be totally honest, and maybe everyone else just isn't being as honest as I'm about to be, <laughs> I I do it for the challenge of continually getting better. Because I think when you do something creative, you're never, you know, whether you're an author or a photographer or my husband's a dairyman or whatever, whatever you are in your field, you're never the best one, right? Like, I don't think I'm the best photographer. I can list like 40 ahead of me that I would love to be like. And I think, you know, as a writer... John, you can probably list like at least 10 writers above you that you're like, ah, their writing is just, and I, as my husband as a dairyman could list 10 dairymen above him that he's like, man, they just really. And so I think that when you really love, either love your craft, which I, I love photography on accident, but, but when you really either love your craft or love, I love the process on purpose. I love continually improving when you love one of those two things. And you know, there's still people ahead of you that inspire you. For me, that's why I keep doing it because I'm like, oh, this like I actually just edited a session right before this. And I thought, man, I, I nailed this. Like, I love this one. But I had a session right before that that I thought, oh, man, like, I hope the client likes this because this light was rough. And, <laughs> and, you know, so that constant back and forth of like that high of when you feel like you've really nailed it. And then that struggle of like, could I have shot this better? You know, it just keeps making you better. And that my my why is that I really love the process because that high of getting it right or having that aha moment, like when I realized light is so important, you know, and the other day 
I mean, this is really technical, but all of a sudden I realized, you know, you don't want really harsh light in your lens or in the style I shoot is very soft. So a lot of even light, very soft, very romantic, very classic. And all of a sudden I realized, man, I don't always have to have my subjects in the shade. If I'm just in the shade, that can kind of offset. And I know that's a little more technical than probably everyone listening wants to get into, but it was a light bulb moment for me that even after 10 years of shooting had never occurred to me. And like those kind of things are just what keep me, keep me going. I don't know that something about that process that just, I mean, it's horrible. It's a roller coaster, right? I think you've seen, you've probably seen that all of us who are in creative work have this roller coaster of like, you know, while you're shooting, you're like, I don't actually feel like going to my session. I don't like this. And then you get to the session and you're like, it's fine. I'll have a good attitude. Then you meet the people and you're talking to them and you're like, oh, this is so fun. I'm winning them over. Like they really like me. The The vibe is here. And then you, you're finishing shooting. You're like, wow, that was amazing. Then you get in your car and you're like, oh, I should have done this or I should have, oh, I didn't really close them right or I could have, you know, and then you drive home and you're like, by the time you get home, it's like, I don't even know why I do this. And then you upload the photos and it's like, I can't wait to see these. You put them on your computer and you're like, oh, these are going to be great. And then you start to edit and you're like, oh, this is dog crap. Like I should have changed this angle. <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, these are amazing. And you, I think like every session is like that roller coaster, but the aha moments and the highs and the, when you see your work today versus four years ago, that's what that's why I do it. <laughs> yeah, I really resonate with that. It, like it's almost like having this purpose about things. So, and I guess this goes with what we were talking about before where it's just you have to really love what you're doing in the first place because if you're just doing it for the client or whatever, you're just doing it for the money. Like there's other ways to connect with people. There's other ways to earn money. And so, when you're doing something that's challenging. You do really have to love it for the challenge that it is and kind of fall in love with the craft, which it sounds like you've done with the photography. Well, and like you're saying, like there's other ways to make money or there's other ways to, the thing is also, if you're doing something creative, there's so many other ways to make money where you don't have to blame yourself if it sucks. You yeah. know, <laughs> if you're going to do something creative and it's no good. Who is that on? Right. So like if, I think that if you do something creative and you're still doing it, you have to love either what you're doing or the process because you're you're voluntarily beating yourself up fairly regularly. <laughs> I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the same thing with the wedding venue because to me, and maybe it's the same exact thing, maybe it's the same exact answer and I just don't know how it connects, but my assumption is the wedding venue is kind of a different set of stuff that you would like doing about it. But is it the same principles or is there a completely different reason why you like owning this venue and, you know, renting out a space on your property for people to get married on? So surprisingly, I'd say completely different principles. So, well, you know what? It's twofold, twofold. <laughs> okay. So on the completely different principles part, the venue is so much more people management and sticking to rules than it is this beautiful, dreamy, you know, Instagram reel of delight. <laughs> um, I I have a friend who also, he does a ton in the wedding industry, way bigger than I am, and has a couple venues and a catering service. He's got like, I want to say his venue has like 112 different rules or something. And he told me once, you know why I have 112 different rules? It was 112 times I had to tell someone they couldn't do that. You know, and he just says each rule came from an actual experience, you know. And so if you meet venue owners, you're like, man, they're kind of bitter and crotchety. 
And the reality is they didn't start that way. And I know how they got that way. You just, people are so creative at suddenly breaking a rule you didn't know you had to have. And it can be in a very disrespectful, horrible way, or it can be respectful people who just didn't know. So from that perspective, the venue on so many levels is more my business brain, my marketing brain, my people management, my soft skills, that kind of thing. Now, I finally realized I had to have an employee because I was too close to the scenario. And this is where it almost intersects with the photography, right? Loving the process and everything. Um, the wedding venue is our house and our yard. And so the, the very basic logical why for why we have a venue is I love to work in our yard. Um, I know your dad loves to work in yards too. I, I just love to make it beautiful. And in making your yard beautiful, especially if you live on a lot of property, my husband's a dairy farmer. So we are on an old dairy farm. It's a lot of property. It costs a lot of money to make a lot of property manicured and beautiful. Also in California, where we are, we don't get enough rain to keep everything green. Everything has irrigation systems. Everything has sprinkling. I mean, it's, it's expensive. So from a boil it all the way down. I own a wedding venue to justify the amount of money I want to spend in my yard. <laughs> so that's that's boiled way down. And that's a lot different, right, than the, the photography. But where it intersects is, man, I love the process of just like photography. To me, you know, I've had people come on the property and say, wow, it's just beautiful. I'm grateful. I'm thankful. I see what they're seeing. But I also see everything that I'm dreaming of doing that's not done. When I'm in a good mood, it's a really encouraging way. Same like photography, right? There's always bunch of photographers ahead of me in skill level who I just aspire to be like, my yard is different. I'm not chasing somebody else's yard, but I'm chasing this picture in my head of one day what our property will be like. And I love to continually improve that. So I think that's where it oversects. That's a new word and it counts. (laughs) It feels like it's your problem solving skills like kicking in because it's almost like you were taking the hobby of beautifying your property and being like, well, what if this hobby had a really big budget <laughs> and yes. this is how you would <laughs> yes. you would justify bring in the it. money to be able to do it? Yeah, like you're saying, justify it. How have you approached that to where you continue to enjoy doing all that property work? And is it just flat out because you love it? Or do you have the challenge of feeling that you look at your property and you're like, oh my goodness, it's so much work. I, I want to quit doing this. So- Sometimes I get that feeling in photography. And I think I like how the venue and the photography balances right now because as I've improved in photography and become better, I no longer shoot as locally, right? So a lot of the weddings I shoot now are destination weddings or they're more on the luxury end and they're not all going to happen within 30 minutes of where I live in Tulare, you know? So the wedding photography business is less family friendly for me. My kids are all under six and there's four. And so to be flying off on the weekend to go shoot in the Hamptons or to go shoot in Napa, drive up there or to go shoot down in LA, you know, it takes me away from family. So on the venue side, you know, while I love it, I now have to balance it with I'm not by my family, the logistics of childcare, a lot of bit of mom guilt, you know, so I can't enjoy the photography as purely anymore. On the flip side with the venue, and I kind of saw this coming down the road when we had our first kid, the venue requires me to be home because it is our home. Um, we've loosened that a little bit by hiring a venue manager, but you know I can't, I can't be gone all the time and not take care of my yard because 
you know, people are planning to get married in it and it shouldn't have dead grass and dead flowers. So I love that anyway, but now I extra love it because it makes me feel like a real two birds with one stone. I've always loved working in the yard. I've always loved being outside. But now that's something that I can do with my kids and be home with my family and feel like things are settled here. And that way I can do something I love that also serves my strategic business mind that doesn't ask me to take time away from family. Now, with all these things, is this something that you consciously sit down and think about or does it sort of fall into place and you're kind of subconsciously making these decisions and being like, oh, you know what? I get to be home now because I did the wedding venue thing. Or are you thinking, this is the life I want to have. How do I piece it together? So in college, I did the strengths finder test. Are you familiar with that? Maybe not the version that you took, but I'm familiar with versions of this. Yes. Okay. So it basically has like 30 basic um, skills or talents that people have. And it arranges it number one to 30. And what your top five is says a lot about your personality, supposedly. And my top two were strategic and futuristic. So... I'm consciously making these decisions all the time. I feel like my brain is usually 10 to 20 years ahead of whatever I'm doing now, which doesn't mean I don't love what I'm doing now, but I'm always thinking, okay, if I do this now, then in in one year, it would look like in five years, in 10. And I can't say that I run every decision that way, but nearly. Um, And it's quick. You know, I'm not spending, I'm not sitting here spending all this time like, okay, what's my 10 year plan? I don't do that. But I feel like if you say, say to me, Hey, Lauren, what do you think about when you fill in the blank? In the 10 seconds since you've asked that, I've thought about what does that mean for me today, tomorrow, a year from now, two years from now, five, 10, and 15. Like my brain just for some reason flicks all the way through. It's like when you've got one of those flip books, you know, it just, it pages all the way through that for me on just about every decision. So like I said, we, we got married on our property in 2014 and that's what gave me the idea. So already in 2014, when we were planning our wedding, I told my photographer, Hey, Megan, I have a feeling that someday I might want to use this property as a wedding venue. So when you take our wedding pictures, could you just overshoot the property? Make sure there's lots of pictures of the property. And we didn't end up having the wedding venue until almost four years later. You know, but I just, I kind of had this in my head and I thought, well, I'm paying her to be here anyway. And so this would be pretty strategic to just ask her to take some of these because I won't have to pay anyone to come back. Plus we've already paid to get the florist here and have everything set up. So yeah, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about it. And it sounds like just a good habit to be in, uh, really, no matter if you're in a creative industry or not, because like what you're saying, you can have some sort of efficiency with it, but also you're not making decisions that are going to sabotage your own future. Right. And yeah, so so do you go in with, and obviously I don't, I wouldn't imagine you're having a photography client and thinking about how each shot is going to affect you personally in 15 years. Um, although maybe, maybe there's some of that in some, some way, but how much planning goes into a photo session versus things that are spur of the moment, almost like out of your control that you have to kind of adjust to? Yeah, this is a question I've asked myself a lot lately, probably about two years ago, I realized I know a lot now about how to handle a camera, how to pose people. At this point, I think the biggest thing that could improve about my photography is preparing people. I, for a long time, was so concerned about client experience and not being bossy that I don't think I gave as much direction as could have been helpful. And I'm not saying while I was posing them, but things like outfit inspiration, giving them some ideas for outfits that photograph well, telling them why. I mean, it's not like, you know, everybody wear jeans and white. It's explaining 
with my style of photography, soft, solid colors photograph best. Warm colors especially keep your face looking warm and radiant. Just like lots of things like this where I still tell the client at the end of the day, these are your photos that you're going to hang on your walls. So wear what you love and what you feel comfortable in. But just a little bit of education about, hey, here's what ends up looking best on the other side of the camera. I mean, at this point, I've seen hundreds of thousands of images go through my editing. And so I know that, you know, an orange and red loud pattern never photographs as nicely as some of the other stuff for my style, in my opinion. So it has been interesting. You can be pretty strategic with photography as well. It's just a little more nuanced. Um, The other thing is, once I show up to the session, all strategy leaves my brain. I always tell people I'm more organized than I seem. I'll say, okay, we're going to walk over here now. We take three steps. It's like, oh, stop right there. I'm going to take some right here. You know, just as I have to kind of leave my brain open for what looks like it's going to go well while I'm there, while I'm walking. And yeah, there's there's definitely a balance. But I do think the the best creatives... I need to figure out a way to say this better so you can actually use this. When I first started taking photos, I thought if you just knew how to take a photo, how to use your camera, it would be great. And you could make a great photo out of any location. There's some truth to that, but I also think that the best photographers understand how to manipulate a location as well. And that that manipulation part requires quite a bit of planning. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think kind of what you were saying here, again, I see the connection in the writing because you know, like you, I like to have a plan going into things. And it's interesting because in, in writing, people talk about planners and pantsers, like pantsers being flying by the seat of your pants, kind of just making stuff up as you go. And then in a second draft, making it all fit better together. Whereas a planner would outline like everything very meticulously. Mm -hmm. And so I thought going into it, like, oh, I'm just going to be the type of person who plans it. That's just who I am. And it wasn't until I actually started doing it that I saw the value in the spur of the moment things. Otherwise, everything just felt so stiff. And so I think as I've built more experience, now I'm more aware of what aspects need to be planned for what I want to do and then which things should be left into kind of the spur of the writing moment. And I think creativity in any field has that combination and different people's styles might be on different parts of the scale there. But I do think that it really is this balance, like you're saying, between, okay, what's the situation I'm in right now? How is the light of the sun affecting this? And how does that, does that go with my plans or do I need to adjust those? And planning to change the plan, but also going in with a plan. It's this weird, like it kind of clashes with it yes. until you're actually doing it and then it makes yeah. sense. Well, wouldn't it be interesting? I Like as you're talking, I'm thinking just like any other personality test, wouldn't it be interesting for people who are in some sort of creative field? Like I think, like you said, your planners and your pantsers, you've got that kind of everywhere. Like when you've come into your creative field, you either came in as a planner or a pantser, right? And then at some point, I think you had a light bulb moment that the other one's also important. Yes. You know, and so... I mean, I've known you for a very long time. I could have guessed you came in as a planner and I came in as the pantser. And then I think probably in a similar, you know, creative arc where we were learning, we both realized the value in the other. And so I think that's a really fascinating, like, I would love to see a personality test that divides 
creatives into like different types of creatives. Yeah, exactly. Creative personalities. Yeah, and it's interesting too because I it kind of affected how I even view my own life because like you're saying, since I was a kid, I was like kind of in this planner mentality and I still very much am like I get frustrated if the plan changes with like normal life things not create or Mm -hmm. creative things too but I think going through the creative process and learning the value of the other side I'm seeing that okay well maybe if I can apply that to my normal life I'll be better off too and I found that it's actually more difficult for me to do that. And I don't know if it's just because I'm stuck in my ways after living normal life being a planner. But I think slowly but surely, I'm starting to adjust to that too. And so so you can kind of learn a lot, not just in your own creative field, but in your entire life as well. Maybe this just means we're in our 30s. Does this mean we're just maturing or something? (laughs) Maybe that's what it is. (laughs) Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think there is quite the parallel. And it is interesting to realize like these two things where you thought you had to be one or the other actually are the most beautiful when they're somehow balanced together. Well, Lauren, it's been a great pleasure talking with you and interviewing you for the show. Thanks so much for coming on. What's the best way for people to see a little bit of your work or if they're in the market for a photographer or want to get married in California and look at your venue, where can they see all these things? I am most active on Instagram. I'm just at Lauren Westra. The venue is Westwood Barnes. So that one is at Westwood Barnes. I share a little bit of that on Lauren Westra as well, though. So if you just go to at Lauren Westra on Instagram, pretty much all of it is there. Pretty heavily on the stories if you're looking for my family, heavily on the feed if you're looking for photography. Well, good. Thanks again. It was great talking with you. And till next time. Till next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause of Craft. You can find links to Lauren's photography business, wedding venue, and Instagram in the show notes. If you enjoyed our conversation about embracing challenges, check out episode 15 with author Liz Tolzma, where she shares why it's important to find new ways to challenge ourselves. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend and leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those two things really help the show grow. And if you have feedback, suggestions, or guest recommendations, send an email to john at causeofcraft.com. That's j-o-n at causeofcraft.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.